welcome to the Enhanced Living Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kruger. I believe that we all have within us the power to be everything that we are meant to be and so much more. This show is a weekly dose of practical and spiritual principles, strategies, tips, and ideas to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Here's to becoming exactly who you were meant to become. I've been called a human Swiss army knife because I'm a TV host, inspirational speaker and coach, live event MC and DJ, certified yoga and Ayurveda teacher, functional fitness enthusiast, author, husband, and dad with a voracious appetite for knowledge. And I'll be sharing real talks with successful people from all walks of life, spiritual teachers and masters and experts in many different fields. I'll also share my own perspective that I've gained from over 20 years of diligent meditation and spiritual work so we can all experience enhanced living. Are you ready to evolve? Let's do this. All right, welcome back to Enhanced Living. Thank you so much for joining us today. I honestly don't even know where to begin right now because I'm about to bring on to the show one of my personal gurus. This man has been so instrumental in so much of my own spiritual evolution that I'm I'm literally just tingling about to bring him on. So I'm just going to read his bio real quick. I want to read it so I get it right. Yogi, mystic, and practitioner of Ayurveda, Moss has become an influential teacher of yoga and Ayurveda, integrating a background of athletics, therapeutics, science, and ecology into a dynamic synthesis that has led him to become an innovative voice in the field of integral yoga and Ayurveda. He offers unique certification and educational programs internationally and maintains an active counseling practice that embraces Vedanta, Ayurveda, and Vedic astrology. He follows the lineage teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda of the Self-Realization Fellowship and Swami Jyotir Mayananda of the Shivananda lineage, and in 2014, he appeared in the triumphant film Awake, The Life of Yogananda. As director of Dancing Shiva, an educational organization based in Southern California, he promotes health, wellness, and societal reform by means of embracing universal spirituality and a natural approach to lifestyle. He also maintains an active Ayurvedic astrology counseling practice and international teaching schedule. Under Masvidal's direction, Dancing Shiva Yoga and Ayurveda has been recognized internationally for developing a strong balance between the mind-body relationship and the spiritual principles emphasized in both yoga and Ayurveda. Masvidal strongly encourages education in a practical sense and as a way of life in his dynamic yoga classes. The center is aligned with various notable institutions of health and wellness, spirituality, and higher learning throughout the United States, Europe, and India, and maintains interaction in the areas of consulting, research, and providing educational materials. Moss, thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Yep. Namaste. Nice to be here. Thank you, Adam, for making the effort to make this world a better place. <laughs> I'm, I'm simply following in your footsteps, which are large. That's the way it goes, you know, one person in- inspires the next, and and that's the beautiful part of this world is that good is contagious. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It truly is. I mean, it's it's funny because you can go into a room and you can, you can literally feel the energy right away, right? But if you come into a room smiling and beaming, people start to pick up on that and it, and it kind of spreads kind of like a little brush fire or a smile fire. Yeah. That's the way it works. And and as you know, many need it now more than ever, right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, the times are, I, I think they're crazy, but also it's a real opportunity, I think, for everybody to kind of grow and shift and evolve. 
And I, I really truly believe that yoga and Ayurveda are instrumental in this. And so I just wanted to kind of maybe open up and maybe if you can help our listeners understand a little bit about how you came to this, because I know that you were, you were like a bodybuilder in Florida looking for answers, deeper answers to life. And you entered this path that brought you to where you are now. Could you expand on it a little yeah, bit? Yeah. For the Western mindset, um, I often tell everyone that, you know, I'm like, I was raised like everybody else in this country with junk food, sitcoms, drugs, alcohol, exposed to all of that, very much influenced by our society, which is driven by externalism, materialism, money, and everything based on an external perspective. And it climaxed for me in college. Um, I had been muscle building for a number of years. I realized that I could grow really quickly. I started lifting weights at age 16. And by 19, I won the Mr. Florida uh, with no drugs. Somebody said, hey, listen, you you have a good body. Have you ever thought about bodybuilding? I thought, no, I'm not interested in that. Anyways, they convinced me and and he said, look, shave your body down. I'll show you how to do a few poses and you should just try this contest. And I did. And I and I won the Mr. Ford, which was kind of funny because all these guys were on drugs, taking steroids, and I never needed it, fortunately. But what happened was, is that I realized you know, I just kept building, building, and building my ego more and more. And and the muscle, the body, all of that externalism, it was an escape from pain. It was escape from looking within for the answers. And everything was, you know, this dependency on the external world. Well, I had a little awakening in college. It was in 1990, 89, 90 that year. And it just, it got me to start searching. I knew I wanted to come to California. I had early visions and and connections to California being raised in Miami. I couldn't understand it. And I thought, why do I want to go to California? Uh, I tried to come out for college. I tried to come out for grad school. And my father, my parents were opposed to it. So as soon as I graduated, I just jetted straight out here. I had planned it for years. And by no coincidence, nothing is coincidental. The person that I, the only person that I knew was a celebrity, a Hollywood celebrity. She had been married to a a cousin of my father's and she, I lived with her. I moved in with her and she was, she introduced me to yoga, Ayurveda and astrology. And I was 23 years old, and it never left me. I explored then Yogananda's teachings, started studying religions, Buddhism, Judaism, a lot of the religions. I wanted to know all of the answers to life. And ultimately, yoga really provided all those answers. And the fact that Yoga had a a sister science and an astrology system that worked with it. It's part of its package. Those started to develop in time, but it was was really right there. And it, it never left me, even though I kept trying to do other things. 
listening to the external world and people do this, do that. This will bring you great money. And I tried them, but I didn't really do well at them. I failed at most all of them. Um, What I got from them was the experience and I took the experience, but I certainly didn't enjoy it very much. I knew that I had to dedicate my life to reforming humanity, changing people's lives and seeing the same thing that I saw in myself in other people, which was a new relationship with the world. I knew that I had to look at the world and live in the world in a different way. Otherwise, I would have been what what we see in the world, this chaos, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see that. It's It's almost as if over the years, we've really lost touch with what's truly important. You mentioned about the external versus the internal, and I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with, especially since... Personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with being comfortable in the world, right? It's okay to have things. It's just, I think it's more about the attachment to things versus, and the identification with those things as opposed to enjoying them. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, sure. So when we talk about the way that the world is right now, we're in the middle of a global pandemic where a lot of people are are scared. They're stuck at home. I don't want to say stuck, but they're, you know, some, well, I mean, in America, I think people are kind of running around a little bit too much, but, you know, I think a lot of people have, have gone within a little bit more and are seeking guidance. And so I, I want to know what, what you think people can take from Ayurveda and yoga immediately with respect to this specific situation that we're in, but then, you know, br- more broadly to, to life in general. And I know that that's something that we could talk about for days as opposed to minutes or hours, but, you know, just briefly, what do you think people could take from this immediately from yoga and Ayurveda to apply to their lives today to start seeing some kind of improvement? A good question and a big question. Well, the first thing people need to do is ultimately understand that they don't have full control over their lives. There is a cosmology that rules this world. The planets influence this world. Just yesterday, we had a full moon and an eclipse, and these things affect the world. So there's a force there that that is influencing this whole planet and all living things. When global events like this happen, and this is probably the biggest in our lifetime. I think others before this were probably the world wars and some of the great famines, but really it was the world wars that threatened and scared people. And that was, you know, almost a hundred years ago. It prods people to realize that there is a higher purpose for life and that life is not merely just living for the external world and collecting things. And the whole purpose of this existence is about cultivating a relationship with this world that honors divinity, that awakens something in us to recognize that God is in every living thing. And that spirituality, that happiness is not something that you do or something that you buy. It's an experience and it's something that is within yourself. And this experience that we're all going through right now from the yoga Ayurveda perspectives is about slowing down. 
This is the biggest message of yoga and Ayurveda is surrender. If you can surrender and trust that there is a, a process that the world has to go through. And if we can slow down a little bit, take more time to spend time in nature, spend time with family, reading, cooking, doing the simple things that societies did for thousands of years. I mean, people farmed, and but the last century has been a very different century. And so it's sped up so fast that it feels almost really like chaos uh, to be taken away from our outer world. It's hysterical. People are hysterical because now they can't do the things that they thought were success, were happiness. And those aren't the things that, that really define that. And look at India. I mean, India still today is the oldest living civilization on this planet and continues to live in this way. It, it, it has, it's embedded in this culture. And this is an opportunity for us to bring these two, East and West, together. So I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, I, I want to circle back to something you mentioned uh, just a second ago about slowing down. I was just talking to Sharice about this just the other day, about how Yes, of course, this the global pandemic is tragic in, in the loss of life and the sickness that's pervading through it. But at the same time, I really truly believe that it's also a blessing in disguise because it really has forced us to slow down. For the first portion of it, when everyone was kind of locked down, the air pollution subsided, the planet started to heal itself, people were outside, they were going to the park, they were, you know, on their bikes a lot more than we had been in the past. There are families that the parents are working, you know, nine to six every single day. They come home for basically, you know, a quick dinner and bedtime who are now spending obscene amounts of time with their children. And for a lot of people, this is a huge adjustment, but it's also been profoundly rewarding for so many families, even in the midst of the economic uncertainty and the health crisis that we're dealing with. So to me, when I think about it, I'm like, okay, yoga and Ayurveda, it's a living, breathing thing that has now caused everybody to, hey, slow down, pay attention to what really matters. And maybe it's not the cause. I'm saying more, more it's the solution in the sense that if we live that way, we wouldn't necessarily be dealing with this in the, in the first place. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, these part of what's going on has been repeated. This is this happens in the world, right? There's viruses. But from the Vedic perspective, rather than wearing masks and doing a lot of very superficial things like spraying things down and keeping six feet of distance to protect your life, is is really a very fearful approach to preserving life. And the perspective from this tradition is to build immunity, build strength of mind and body relationship. If you have ojas, if you have a good immune system, nothing can conquer your body. And on top of it, if it's time for your body to go, and if it's time for you to leave this body, that's also in your karma. Everyone has a specific time and a place where certain things will happen. They can't change that. 
they can change the impact that it has, but the act, the, the experience of that thing happening. So this is, again, an opportunity to trust, surrender, and, and let this, this process do its cleansing. You know, this is, it's, it's, it's doing that for us. Mm-hmm. And that, this is what I'm trying to encourage people to do is eat healthier, uh, spend more time doing the things that they want to do. Everybody wants to do more yoga. Everyone wants to be outside biking and cooking at home. But why can't they do it? Because they're trapped in the conditions of a society that says, this is the way you have to live. This is what defines success. And the only way I, and I see this day and night because I, I do the counseling with individuals daily. And, and I ask them, how often can you do this? How often, how many hours can you contribute? And the struggle that I see in most of these people is that they've created a structure in their life that it becomes an obstacle to their capacity to doing these things. The bills, the job, the financial situation, all of this has amassed to enormous pressures. And it becomes very difficult for people to to live this way. And we have to kind of, what it really comes down to is we have to create a new culture. We have to create a new way, a new relationship with how we live in this world. You can read the books all day long. You can try and sprinkle this into your life. But until you change the way that you see this world and the way that you live here, these principles have a huge battle to fight. It's too much to overcome. So this is a start. If they're listening to this show that you're doing, something is percolating inside of that person and then maybe suddenly right they're gonna say you know what i do have to make a change and they make that bold step and they jump and it's those individuals that take that big leap and jump and they realize that it's not a big big lake where they're gonna drown it's actually just the puddle they're stepping in (laughs) and then they're off and the, and you've done that and it's those people that that have the courage to make and and take those bold steps to change their life and say I've had enough. I couldn't agree more. I, I really, you know, it's funny because I want to say that it's 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 really a matter of priority as far as I'm concerned, because I think that, you know, if, if it's important to you, you're gonna make it a priority and you're gonna get it done. And if it's not that important, you'll make excuses. And that's and I feel like a lot of people they they love the idea of evolving. They love the idea of of making themselves better. But then when they're faced with the mountain of work and, and introspection that they have to do in order to get there, it's like, oh, well, I got to go do this business call right now. I, I'll do it this later. I'm certainly guilty of that in, some, in in many capacities. I've been working on myself for, you know, over 22 years at this point. And really in this pandemic, my meditation practice has deepened so greatly. Not that it wasn't before. I was I was still meditating daily, but it's just expanded. It's gotten longer. It's gotten more involved. I've done, I'm doing so much more pranayama, which I want to talk about that. But I want to circle back real quick because you mentioned something and I will come back to pranayama. I'm actually going to make the note right now because it's it's so important but 
You were talking earlier about karma and how if certain things are meant to happen for people, it's going to happen no matter what. They really can't control what's going to happen, but they can mitigate the circumstances to an extent. And so the best way to live is to be surrendered and to just allow things in your life, which I want to say, first of all, just living surrendered, it, it takes stress out of the equation in a big way because you just allow, you just allow. And if you make peace with what is, you're not fighting against it. And so there's no resistance. But I want to talk more about that, the, the karmic situation, because I know that you are in the Paramahansa Yogananda lineage, you follow Paramahansa Yogananda. For anyone listening that doesn't know who Paramahansa Yogananda is, Autobiography of a Yogi is a wonderful place to start. But can you address the karmic situation, for example? So I know that someone listening who's just kind of getting in, involved with this is going to go, well, wait, so if I'm meant to die on Tuesday, there's nothing I can do to mitigate that? Like, so what do I, you know, what do I do? Like, for some people, that can be very frightening, can you expand on that just a little bit? Because I, I know what you mean, but I, I just yeah. I want to translate. Yeah, that's a big topic. But the whole basis for Indic or Vedic teaching, which yoga and Ayurveda are from, is based on two laws. One is karma. That means that every action has an equal reaction. Right? If you roll a ball with a certain force, that ball is going to continue to roll with as much force as you gave it. So it's the law of cause and effect. And then there is the also the principle or the law of rebirth. That means that your soul enters a body. As long as you have a desire, you keep coming into the body to fulfill those desires. And so the, the whole purpose of life is to fulfill all of your desires and at the same time eradicate them. But karma, we're all here because of karma, because when you have a desire, you then go chase that desire, and you perform a number of actions to fulfill it. I want to marry, I want to make money, I want to have a dog, I want to, whatever it is, you go out and seek that, and you perform a number of actions to get those things done. Well, some of those desires have been seeded and planted many, many lives before, and they're really easy to fulfill. So let's say, you know, you want to um, be a musician, and then suddenly you just take up playing music, and it comes really naturally. You just, tunes flow out, and then somebody says, hey, can you play live for me? And, and you get a record contract, and, and it all comes really easily. Well, that indicates that you've done music and practiced music many, 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 many times before. So that desire was there and planted. So it's, it's part of your disposition. And this is how we see people that are born. They make a decision. They may make loads of money while a similar person in the same city trying, trying to do the same thing for decades and decades can't even save a penny at the end of the month. What's the difference? Well, it's karma. It's that action has been put in place before. So what we tell people that are coming new to this study is do the things that you like the most. The things, the, the qualities that are most natural to your disposition. Are you creative? Are you a logical person? 
Do you like to be in nature and work with animals? Do you like to be in office? Do you like to crunch numbers? Be very clear with what you like and what brings you the most happiness. Follow that because that becomes what we call your artha, what brings you the greatest ease and it brings, it's your vocation. It's not work. Now you do that work, you begin to perform that work and you enjoy making other people feel happy. You realize that what you're doing gives you something, but it also gives another person the same thing it gives you. It's completely reciprocal. So in in Western terminology, we would call it the law of reciprocity. That means that as much as you get from this, it also gives an equal amount to the other person or to other people. And so in Sanskrit, that's called artha and dharma. That means that your vocation then becomes your divine purpose, dharma. And now you begin to evolve. Now there's less resistance. And because you're getting something, but you're also helping somebody else. And that becomes the highest yoga, which is karma yoga. It means that all your actions are purifying you because they're also purifying and helping other people. And that becomes the most important understanding of yoga is you have to find something that is reciprocal and is not just for me, but for we. It integrates the law that everything that you do affects everyone and everything around you. That's, I mean, that's beautiful. And I, I think just to kind of drive the point home too, just talking about karma, I think a lot of people equate that with, well, oh, that's, that's bad karma, dude. That's, you know, where, or, you know, you did that. And so now karma is going to come back and bite you. And karma is not that it's literally that there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's almost like the laws of physics. So Karma applies to when you hold the door open for somebody or you buy the homeless person lunch or a sandwich, you're putting that beautiful, wonderful energy out into the world, which is going to come back to you. And it's going to it's going to snowball in the same way that if you're doing something that's perceived as negative, that's going to be something that affects you as well, whether you know it or not. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. And so it's funny, I wanted to discuss diet a little bit because you were you were talking about that earlier as well with respect to karma and, you know, just eating right to, you know, increase ojas, which is, you know, the immune system and and, and your your internal energy. And then I want to kind of lead into pranayama from there. But so a lot of people are now starting to realize, like you see the rise of veganism right now, which all cards on the table, I'm, I'm a staunch vegan person. So for me, understanding that I don't want to create karma through my diet, or at least as little as possible, because as we know, living in the world, I mean, it's impossible to cultivate the fields without possibly injuring animals by accident, right? So there's no there's no karma-free action, I suppose. But I mean, to minimize it, right? I think the best impact that people can do for the environment, for their health, for the world is to go plant-based. But that's kind of baked into yoga and Ayurveda as well, isn't it? Yeah, more so on the yoga side. Yoga is based on the law of ahimsa, which is nonviolence, that no one should harm any living thing. Mm -hmm. 
See, there's challenges with everyone becoming vegetarian. Ayurveda isn't necessarily a, a vegetarian tradition. It, it's, it's founded on that, but it does, and it did use meat in many circumstances for very chronic disorders, very debilitating diseases, and the sages knew that eating certain meats would help them build their immune system. They right. would take herbs and special recipes and Ayurvedic preparations to help build their immune system, and then they would slowly take them back off of the meat if it was possible, and then bring them back to a plant-based diet. I really feel that today, because of the way food is cultivated, one of the highest karmic practices that anyone can do is to follow a plant-based diet. Because what has happened with the development of meat factories Mm -hmm. and farming practices have changed over the last 50 years. So it's not the same. And so now it's damaging our body, it's damaging the ecology. And if people begin to change their diet, it's probably the single most important thing that anyone can do to change the entire planet and their own mind-body relationship. Because diet is what changes your body. How you feed your body is the body that you eventually see and experience. So if you want to feel better in your body, eat better. And now you're changing the relationship your mind, your psychology has with the biology. That has to be intact. Anyone who's putting something that goes against their natural constitution is going against natural law. No living thing likes to be harmed. If you try and grab a bird, it's going to try and fly away. If you try and grab a fish, it's going to try and swim away. Why? Because we try to protect our life. And that's why each has its own to survive. And the human species, the Homo sapien, was given the teeth, was given a specific GI tract, a specific systemic function to digest food, plant-based foods, more easily than meat-based foods. Mm -hmm. And you live longer, you live healthier, and then you can fight viruses like this. You sweep them off your table like dust. They will never impact you because your body is strong. It's solid, and it's not fighting and overworking to digest something that it wasn't meant to dissolve in the body. So, yeah, it's a hundred percent. I mean, I, I came to vegetarianism through, actually through you and, 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 you know, from Sharice bringing me to dancing Shiva, you know, when I got my, my yoga certification, I, I became vegetarian almost, almost instantly, I want to say. And, and then seven years later went completely vegan, completely plant-based. And those two transitions for me, I remember the shift from omnivore to vegetarian, my energy levels skyrocketed to a point that I couldn't even, I couldn't even like, it just, it made no sense to me almost. And again, I'm, I deal with an autoimmune situation. So for me to be able to have these levels of energy was, was mind blowing. But then the step up, even from vegetarianism to straight up plant-based, it was another level. It was just, it was, it was amazing. 
But I want to kind of touch, like I said earlier, on pranayama because it's totally related. And pranayama is about uh, its breath work for those who, you know, for the un- I don't I don't like to say for the uninitiated, but for anyone who's unfamiliar with the term, pranayama is literally about breath work. It's breath control, and. I just, I read an article recently on, I believe it was inverse. Please don't hate me if I'm wrong, but it basically was saying that how it was saying based on the COVID situation, the best type of breathing that you can do is deep nasal breathing with an exhale through the mouth, which is just bastrika. It's fellows breath, essentially. Uh, although we do in through the nose, out through the nose, but either way, what they said was it creates nitric oxide in the body and in the blood, which actually prevents these uh, viral cells from attaching to our cells. So it actually helps fortify both the immune system and the lining of our cells, which I thought was really amazing and, and completely unsurprising to me because I found that when I incorporate pranayama into and always incorporate it into my meditations, they're so much deeper and so much more just... I mean, I I literally just, I forget the body while I'm in meditation, having done a good amount of pranayama beforehand. So I just wanted to maybe, uh, not maybe, I would love for you to kind of weigh in on that and and let the listeners know about what pranayama is exactly, why it's important to do it, and what that practice can do for them immediately, because I know that it works immediately. Yeah, so let me, I'll start by saying this, that like food does for the body, Whatever we take in into the mind affects the mind. So we want people to not only give, give importance to what they're putting into their bodies, but also to pay attention to what they're taking in mentally. And the mind is basically a reflection or a representation of how we breathe. Fast breathing, fast thinking. Slow breathing, calm mind. So breath control is self-control. And if we teach someone to breathe more slowly, more deeply, it's the prerequisite to emancipation or liberation. So first and foremost, the person needs to begin with deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, awareness of their breath. In Sanskrit yoga, we call it Bastrika, which is a forceful inhale, exhale through the nose. It really refreshes oxygen. It increases hemoglobin. It builds the red corpuscles in the blood. And it is incredibly powerful for building immunity because immune system attacks the blood and it weakens the blood. And when the cell levels are low in a body, This is where diseases and viruses come in. So pranayama is an incredible way not only to manage the mind and calm the mind, but it's also a way to build immune strength and to strengthen the body. So it's really the the subtler form of food. We say that prana comes in three forms. First, it comes in food. Eat healthy food, organic food, fresh food, never frozen. Second, drink water that's pranified, that's fresh, that's exposed to the air, to sunlight, right? Because it energizes it. And then get good prana from good air. Breathing well, ocean air, mountain air, river air. But if you don't have those, breathe, do the exercises. This is not, I'm not, don't, people shouldn't confuse this with cardio. This is not biking, (laughs) hiking, you know, all of that. 
Focused breathing is very, very different because it's called mindfulness. It's about focusing on the breath. It's about reducing thoughts in your mind. When someone goes to a gym and steps on a Stairmaster and they're watching a TV or blasting music through their ears while they're exercising their body, we call that fragmentation. You're dividing the mind, conscious attention, from the physical entity. doesn't work the same way. This is why quiet breathing, calm breathing, even two to three minutes, just closing your eyes and doing these breathing exercises are really, really powerful. And um, they can transform your life and make meditation easier. It's so true. I mean, I, I know that when I when I do my pranayama, which I do literally every single day, at least twice a day, I'll literally lose 10 to 15 minutes without without even knowing it. Like I'll look down at, at afterwards and go, oh, oh my God, it's it's been 15 minutes and I, I've just been sitting here breathing or not breathing because I do retentions as well. It's absolutely just the most amazing, calming access to the present moment that I've had in, in forever. And so, I mean, meditation is being fully present and also not focused on on your own self at the same time. They really do go hand in hand. Moss, can you tell me what's what's lighting you up right now? What's What's got you really, really excited about things in life at this moment in time? Well, I'm working on a, a book I've been working on for the last three or four years. And it's called um, Evolutionary Living. This concept hasn't really left me for a long time. And I'm on fire with encouraging people to live an evolutionary life. And while my first book started with the question of what is health and defining health from a Vedic perspective, this book begins with the question is, what is evolution? And so we look at evolution from the yoga Ayurveda perspective. So we're looking at evolution, not from a linear perspective, right? Where there's a beginning and an end to humanity and this idea that, that, is, that science follows that we came from this caveman kind of consciousness to now we're the very evolved people. No, it's actually the opposite. We were a very evolved people and we've lost that consciousness (laughs) and we're returning back to it. So it follows more of a cyclical perspective on consciousness. And so I'm defining this idea of evolution and I'm trying to encourage people to live an evolutionary life and give them the, the basic principles of what that means and how they can do that. And the basis for that is integral yoga and Ayurveda, meaning that you cannot fragment yoga and just do one aspect of yoga and think that it's going to take you to the end. Yoga is a holistic system, Mm -hmm. and I want to encourage people to practice it in its holistic way. And what is it? What is that? What is holistic or integral yoga? Well, it means that there's a practical side to every person. We call that karma yoga. There's a love and compassionate, sensual side to every person. Have that aspect as well. 
There's an intellectual side. There's a side for knowledge and information. That's another form called Gyan Yoga. And then there's this deep spiritual side to every one of us, a mystical sort of voice and uh, energy within all of us, and we call that Raja Yoga, and encouraging a person to find their path. Are you the practical one, the emotional one, the intellectual one, or the spiritual one? Figure that out. You need to ask yourself a deep question. What is my bent? What is that? What, is, what am I natural to? What am I kin to? Figure that out and start to play that out in the world. Do those things. Perform those things. Follow your bliss. And that door, as Joseph Campbell said, will open and remove walls like no one's business. What he actually said is, when you follow your bliss, it will open doors where there were walls. And things just start to open and happen in your life. Because you now know yourself, you know what you've done, all of those lies you've lived. You, this is natural to me. You follow, let's say it's the practical path. I like to help people. I like to do things for people. I like to, you know, whatever it is, support people. If you do that, then your devotional side opens up, then your intellectual side opens up, and naturally those other doors start to open, but you got to follow and knock on the door, open the door that you know how to open. It's natural to your disposition. And so that's where I'm at right now. I'm about I'm hoping I'll finish it this year and then it'll be out uh, sometime next year. So. Oh, wow. I can't wait to read that. That sounds, I mean, wow. <laughs> I'm speechless. I, 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 that resonated with me so much. I can't even begin. Uh, for those listening or, or watching, this is also uh, up on YouTube at the moment. Moss's first book, which by the way, I have I have bookmarks here, but this is this is the first one. It's Sun, Moon and Earth, The Sacred Relationship of Yoga and Ayurveda. You can get that. I'm going to put the links down below, of course, uh, in the description of the podcast and, and, you know, below the video, of course, as well. But for those seeking more information from you, Moss, where could they find, I mean, obviously, DancingShiva.com is where you can go for Moss's website. Do you have any specific workshops coming up that you'd like to talk about um, coming up, let's say, in August or, or September or somewhere around there? Well, you know, this year has been tough. A lot of things have been canceled. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I actually do have an event this week from Thursday to Sunday. It is a uh, basically a foundations, a 50-hour immersion in Ayurveda, but also in this concept of Vedic counseling, which I practice, which is using yoga to evolve and yoga as a therapy in our lives to help our mind-body relationship. Ayurveda lifestyle, diet, and then looking at the astrology for uh, understanding the karma. So I have that coming up. Um, we invite auditors to come for free. You can audit for two to four hours. It's all day, eight hours a day, and it takes place here in Encinitas. The information's on the Dancing Shiva website. Otherwise, there isn't much planned for events later in the year. I think there's a festival, but all of that 
is up on the Dancing Shiva website. There's a travel schedule and event schedule and things like that. They can find there, read articles. There's 30 to 40 different articles, videos, lectures, all for free. They can watch those. And they can also purchase your book on, on the site as well. They can purchase the book on the site, on Amazon, and uh, yes, so thank you. Wonderful. And if they if they wanted, if they were interested in, in getting a teacher certification, uh, yoga and Ayurveda teacher certification, I believe you're having those workshops online via Zoom right now. Is that right? Yeah, and people can audit those. We have ongoing courses. There are still going on right now um, with people all over the world are taking a yoga Ayurveda course and we do them live and, and, and there's also video material books to read. And, and I don't even use the term certification or teacher certification anymore because what we're seeing is that over 60% of the people are looking for lifestyle enhancement. Mm-hmm. They're looking for a new lifestyle. And one of the points that I address in this new book is that lifestyle is the new religion. This is the new way that people are connecting with their spirit is through nature and through the way that they live in this world. And so our lifestyles are our religion. It defines who we are, how we feel. And so it becomes this living relationship with the divine. So that's beautiful. I mean, I know that 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 course for me, I'm part of that 60% where it literally changed my whole life. Yes, I taught numerous yoga classes and I, I, but I, and I still employ this when I, when I work with people and, and I know that, Hey, listen, you know, have a seat, just do this breath work for just two minutes. You're going to feel so much better. And they look at me like, Dude, how did you, and I'm, it's, it's, it's science, it's yoga. It's really, it's really not, I'm not doing anything mystical. You did it. I just told you what to do. So I know that it changed my life dramatically. Moss, I'm, I'm forever indebted to you for everything that I've learned from you and continue to do so. Thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been absolutely wonderful. I must say, and, and I would just say, think I would, the, the last thing I would say to everyone is, Focus on everything that is positive in every one that you see. Think positive, speak positive, and do positive, and everything will be all right. Amazing wise words. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Enhanced Living Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach me directly at enhancedliving.net. Thanks for listening.